set the table. I have a great table in front of me here on the platform, and I have table settings with forks and the silverware and the, the goblets and the napkins and the nice doily thingy in the middle. <laughs> I don't even know what you call them. Set the table. As I was preparing for this series, I was thinking about my story. In 1991, I moved to Minnesota as a college student. I had been in college already for two years, but I transferred into North Central University. And I came as a single, poor college student. And the very first church that I went to was Emanuel Christian Center. And I got involved and started serving as a youth leader. And uh, I didn't know everybody but it seemed like everyone knew each other. And it was, it was a journey to try to get in. I, I got roles to play as a youth leader and stuff, but as far as how I felt, I felt like I spent about a year just trying to get in. Did you know it's hard for outsiders to get in? Sometimes it, because we've got our own way of doing things, it's hard to break in. And uh, for me, I felt like I was in a foreign land and like I was a stranger, and everyone else already had relationships. But there was a game changer for me, and that game changer were a couple friends, a couple families in the church that invited this poor college student into their house. Jerry and Marcia Olson were a couple that their kids were in the youth group, and I was their youth leader. And so Jerry and Marcia had me over for dinner. And I remember driving up to their house, and this was before GPS days, and I had one of those Hudson maps that I was trying to find segments on and make my way up there. And I remember walking into their house, and of course, I was away from my family. I was in another land. I was a college student, and I was eating cafeteria food every day. And I was dumping bags of pennies on the Taco Bell counter, too, if I would be honest. But I remember the feeling I had as I sat down at the table with a real family. And they served up, I'm sure it was some form of casserole. And I ate that casserole and I felt like I was wanted, that I was a part of something. And then fast forward a little bit, I did my internship in 1992 and the call kind of went out that there was this homeless intern that needed a house to stay in, and Ray and Sharon Johnson heard about it, and Ray and Sharon made some room in their basement, and they were willing to be inconvenienced, and I moved in for that summer, only that turned into a couple years, and I ended up being an adopted son of the Johnson home, and they made me feel at home, and when I think about my story, these two families showed hospitality to me. They made me feel like I was wanted like I belonged, and it wasn't the services of the church or the opportunity to do youth ministry that made me feel home. You know what made me feel home? Those two families that invited me over for dinner. See, everyone is looking for a family somewhere to belong. Everyone is looking for somewhere to belong. And the problem with modern America is that we need to be invited into a relationship to be welcome. We won't push past the obstacles unless we're invited, unless we're invited and there's a seat available at the table for us. But we won't do it without an invitation and especially in the American culture today, which is so polarized with people for and against different things, whether it be the Vikings or the Packers 
or the Republicans or the Democrats, or it be just North versus South, or be city versus rural. People are used to pitting one another against each other. And it's very difficult to break your way in when it feels like you're not sure if they're really for you or against you. Even if there is a seat available, the invite to friendship is not obvious to people. People become isolated and the environment around us is risky and people don't even take a chance. Really, it's cold out there. Now I know today is like the warmest day in November history, right, or whatever this weekend. But I'm not talking about the physical temperature as much as I am the relational temperature. It can feel cold, not warm and inviting to people that are around us. In Minnesota, it's cold too, locally. We have Scandinavian roots and Scandinavian culture has rules that are very stoic and not necessarily by nature inviting. Individualism is resisted and people don't trust people. They don't communicate or express too much. For those of you that have come from the outside into Minnesota, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, I try to get in, but it just doesn't. And Minnesotans are like, what are you talking about? We love everybody. This old phrase, Minnesota nice, isn't true all the time. It's more like Minnesota ice. See, I already got some people mad at me. People will smile at you, shake your hand, and walk away feeling like they did their due diligence. They'll give you directions to anywhere but their house. They might ask you for more time than they're willing to give, so why give them an opportunity to come over? Fair or not, we can make people spend a long time earning our trust before we let them in. For religious people, let's bring it home to the church. Just a couple weeks ago, we welcomed a brand new pastor to our staff, Pastor Ben Bright. And his family moved here from Wisconsin, and he's working with our first impressions teams that work on parking lot and lobby and, and our door hosts and the host with coffee and trying to create a welcome environment. And one of the things that Pastor Ben realizes as he's meeting people is he doesn't know who's a new guest and who's a long-termer. And one of the people that he met just a couple weeks ago when he first came was a guest. And that guest began to share her story with him. And the guest said that she had come into church and apparently the guest had been sitting in somebody else's seat because a couple came up to her and said, you're in our seat, could you move? Now, thankfully, this story is an exception rather than the rule. We're somewhat known as a friendly church. But I am describing for you culture. Culture is the way we do things around here and our awareness of others first. Some of us lack that awareness. Now, Jesus showed up not to establish Minnesota culture or Michigan culture. Come on, somebody. He didn't come to establish Israeli culture. Jesus came to bring heaven's culture to earth. He wanted to establish something was different. No matter what you were raised in, you and I can discover that Jesus brings a different feel, the kingdom of God. 
And the society that he spoke to in Israel was accustomed to categorizing people, to keeping outsiders away from the table of his friendship. And everywhere they went, Jesus announced that his kingdom had a place for everyone. He played by different rules than the country he grew up in, and he modeled a lifestyle that was open and hospitable to all who had come to his table. And the table was important to Jesus. He often would sit down for meals with people from all walks of life. If you'd turn with me to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, we're going to discover that Jesus is at a table. And he sits down at this table, and as he sits down at the table, he is spending his time with people. Now he goes to a Pharisee's house, and the Pharisee is one of those religious people, people that know the right thing to say. In a sense, they would have been Emmanuel attenders, okay? And as they sit down to talk, Jesus begins to share his kingdom culture with the people. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. Now, so he's sitting down, and he's having this conversation. Now, go to verse 15, because one of the people that sat down to talk with him says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. (laughs) Jesus said this. It wasn't me. I'm just reading Jesus' words. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those who I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Now this passage of scripture is a grand story, a story woven by Jesus. And the setting is a table and a great feast or a great banquet, maybe a wedding, I don't know. But that banquet was meant to be a place that people were invited. And as Jesus tells the story, he tells the story for the audiences around him. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to use this text to come back to, to talk about the table that Jesus wants us to be invited to and to invite others to come to. In the story, it reveals several things. People have excuses. They have excuses, the field, the oxen, the marriage excuse. 
But we all have our excuses, right? I'm too busy to come. Sunday's my only day off. We got all kinds of excuses. And I'm not just talking about for church, but for any time or opportunity that we might have to show the kingdom culture to the people and the lives around us. And Jesus moves beyond the excuses and he pursues others. So the excuses come, so he sends out other people. The master sends out the word and says, go out and get everybody. Some people that I talk to, they would say, go get everybody. Go get everybody, everybody you can from every walk of life. You go get them and bring them in. And they came back. And still, it says in verse 23, that the house wasn't full, but the house will be full. And it's an important value for the kingdom of heaven to not stop inviting people to the table. In this series, we're going to be catching Jesus' heart in this story. Hospitality is what we receive from Jesus, and now it is what we must communicate in life to the world that is around us. We are a part of Jesus' banquet table to the world that is around us. So how can we become his invitation to everyone. Well, let's look at the scripture because the scriptures also have been saying this since the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19. It says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you and you shall love him as yourself for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There's a hospitality ethic all the way back in Leviticus. And then Jesus picks it up in Matthew 25, verse 40. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, Jesus equates our relationship to others with our relationship to him. Jesus wants us to serve others. And in Romans 12, 13, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I want you to say that phrase with me, practice hospitality. Turn to the person next to you, look them in the eyes and say, practice hospitality. <laughs> you know what I love about that? Doesn't mean you got it down or perfect. Maybe you didn't grow up learning it. But you can learn to practice it and utilize hospitality. In 1 Peter 8, excuse me, 1 Peter 4, it says, Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers over a multitude of sins. Practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. What does ungrudgingly mean? I guess we'll have some people over to the house and we have to. I don't really feel like doing it tonight. Some of you are like this when it came to connect groups last month. Do I really have to do this? Practice ungrudgingly. And then Hebrews 13 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Practice it not just with the people you know, but with strangers. This is an area that is difficult for us in Minnesota. We're used to our own group. 
our own families, but the Bible says we're supposed to practice it with strangers. Setting the table is preparing to serve people in a way that makes them feel wanted and a part of your world. You say that with me? Setting the table is preparing to serve people in a way that makes them feel wanted and a part of your world. See, it's not about what I feel or my objections or my excuses. It's actually more about how do people feel when they're around me? What's it like to work with you? What's it like to be your kid? What's it like to be your neighbor? What do people feel like when they're around you? In a selfie world, we're consumed with what we feel like and our wants and our desires. We get in a group photo, and after the group photo, the picture's done. Who's the first person we look for in the picture? Ourselves. We're accustomed to thinking about how we feel, but the value of Jesus and his kingdom is to think about how we make others feel first. Philippians 2, 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. At our dinner table over the years, of course, we've got four sons, Jody and I do, and those sons have grown very large over time, and they have, they like to eat. You can imagine our grocery bills. But one of the things that we also done over time is try to attempt to teach our kids how to treat guests. And so when we would have people come over for dinner, we had a rule, and our rule was FHB, which stands for family hold back. <laughs> and... And essentially what that meant is once the meal was there and we got all the, the guests around the table, we wanted our boys to wait until the guests were served first, to not take huge helpings, but to allow our guests to get the best. Really, for Jesus, it's about the guest. It's about the other and taking care of them first. Jesus has a feast and a table that he wants to invite people to, and we are his team to do the inviting and to hosting him. And by the way, it's in the daily life, not just for church services on a weekend. I'm talking about a 24-7 kingdom value, not just a Sunday morning I put my time in, Pastor Nate, but to care for others as he would. Today, to help me look at this value of hospitality. I have an expert in our community. And Jason Griggs is here, and he is the owner-operator of Chick-fil-A in Coon Rapids. Would you give it up for Jason as he comes forward? I'm gonna, I'm gonna Thank you, pull Pastor up to Nate. this little bench here we've got, and uh, have a seat, bro. Now, Chick-fil-A is world famous for its hospitality. If if uh, somebody gives me a drink and I say thank you, anybody know what the answer is from an employee? My pleasure. There you go. And apparently uh, for uh, Chick-fil-A, that's a value that they've worked really hard at in restaurants all over. And for you and your restaurant, you have employees 
that you want to train, and it's intentional, right? Correct. It is very intentional. The the I would say the recipe for, of success is the purpose and the actual actions behind that. Easily, we can say thank you or my pleasure, but the actual body language, the tone, being intentional, and the actions follow up with that. That's the success of it. Wow. And uh, wh why is that? I mean, what are you trying to do? With what's your goal? So for Chick-fil-A, and, and I'll focus more on, on my business here in Coon Rapids, um, is to ultimately glorify God that's all entrusted to us. That is our purpose. Uh, to follow up with that is to be that positive influence to everyone we come in contact with. Mm. So it is about people. You have a product. You've got good chicken. I had some on Friday. It was really good. <laughs> but it's not just about chicken, right? That is correct. We have ultimately literally seconds to make that first impressions, as you all would say here, mm. to guess who walks in our doors. Just like in the community, we have options. We can go to what church we want to go to. We can go to what restaurant we want to go to. When they come to Chick-fil-A, we really try to make the focus on them. We're more about the relational side piece and not so much the transactional piece. So you've got seconds to make a first impression. Like how many do you think? I would say probably within the first five to 10 seconds, literally, as a customer walks into that entrance of our restaurant, we try really hard to, obviously, if we can, to make that connection by welcoming them right away, um, but also following them to the next register and to be able to stay connected and so forth through the transaction. Wow. Seconds. You know, church stats say that a person will decide in the first seven minutes that they attend a church whether or not they want to come back. That's before the service starts, friends. So whatever else is happening in their interactions, no matter how good or bad the preaching is, at least that's what I tell myself, they decide <laughs> off of other things. Now, when you want to set an environment, a climate, if you will, for hospitality, for people to feel good about being there, what, how do you train your employees to, to do that? You know, it's a very interesting question. Um, through the interview process, we have certain questions that we ask to try to get to the heart of the individual. Um, but through that and through our training, we really try to make the emphasis, the priority is, is the guests. It's making them feel welcome. So it's the smell, it's the visual, what do they see when they come onto the parking lot, when they come into the restaurant? What's the atmosphere like? What's the vibe going on in the restaurant? For those guests that have been to our Chick-fil-A, you guys know at times we can be very busy and a lot of times it just seems like a lot of hustle and bustle, but we really try to be intentional through those seconds to know when you're there, to make that focus about you and to continue that throughout the rest of the transaction. And you have uh, kind of four core behaviors that you teach mm -hmm, that are do. just like really important. What are those? So the first, first one is, is the eye contact. There's a lot of value when you're looking at someone in the eye mm. and actually talking to them. You're devoting that particular moment with that guest. Mm. The second thing would be the smile. Huh. Smile is very contagious. I mean, I'm smiling at people right now and I can see them <laughs> smiling back. The third thing is to uh, speak with enthusiasm. You know, to your point earlier, uh, there are times when, when life happens. I understand that. I can be guilty of sometimes my tone, my body language, my demeanor, where I'm not fully engaged, and that's not the way I should be at, at times. Mm. The last thing would be to stay connected, and that's having small conversation. That's getting to know that individual. So as I mm. said earlier, it's more about the relationship piece than the yeah. transactional piece at Chick-fil-A. So you're wanting to get to know the person, not just as what they're buying a number two or whatever it is that they're right, buying. right. But you want to get to know because there's a story behind the people, right? Everyone has a story. Um, that's actually part of our training 
uh, method that we have in our leadership program at Chick-fil-A. All y'all sitting out there right now, you have a story and it's very important to you and it's the most important story. I'm gonna be selfish and say, my story is more important than yours, Pastor Nate, <laughs> but vice versa. The point mm -hmm. of that is we all have a story and for us in our business, we try to be in tune with the community and know that everyone has a story. So we have split seconds to make that positive impact on them. And you've got a video that everybody has to watch because that's Correct. a value we always need to remember that the people come in, in, no matter what their facial expressions are, there's a story behind it, right? There is. Definitely so video. can we watch that video? Definitely. Let's All do right, it. Let's go ahead and watch the video they have to watch. Pretty powerful. Um, I'll be honest with you. Every time I watch that, Nate, I almost cry. Just for a simple fact, we all have a story. And we use that again with our, our top leadership on at Chick-fil-A. I was in Atlanta two weeks ago, and this is a video that I watched in a three-day training for the simple fact that you all, myself included, we have such a great opportunity. We are called to serve and serve one another. And that goes into our whole servant leadership. Whereas we as leaders, where we as servants of God are called to serve one another, it's about the other person. It's not about me. 
And that's, that's a day-to-day -day challenge, to be honest with you, with the hustle and bustle of life. We try to implement that, and hopefully for all y'all that have been at a restaurant, you've been able to experience that type of experience at Chick-fil-A. And I'll leave you with this. If a restaurant can do that, I know a church can do it. Thank you, Jason. Would you give it up for my friend, Jason Griggs? Those four core behaviors are behaviors that we can implement. Eye contact and smile and speak with enthusiasm and stay connected. I think those are things that we can carry. As we launch into this series, I want to remind you today that your life is an invitation to the people that you come across, to the table. Everyone is invited to the table. You matter. You're important to heaven. He cares for you, but just as much as you receive the love of Christ, your responsibility and my responsibility is to turn and invite people to experience what we have. Can I get an amen? Today, I wanna to give you some quick keys to setting the table. First, if you're going to set the table in your life and do the work that it takes to pull off this experience. First, you need to hear Jesus' call to bring others to the table. You need to hear him talking to you, tapping you on the shoulder, that perhaps he wants to use you. Jesus cares for others, so should we. And in an era when it seems like there's compassion fatigue and people are just tired of caring, we need to tap back into Jesus and his culture. That's why Jesus told his disciples, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're not living in it and we don't feel the kingdom of God's culture in us, we're to call out to him for it, for he provides his love for others, for his culture. Secondly, if we want to step, set the table, we need to eliminate excuses ourselves. Let's be honest, we have excuses that pop up. Each of the excuses in Jesus' story, whether it been buying of a field or the oxen or the getting married were answers to prayer. They had prayed, give me a wife, give me a husband. They had prayed, give me success in my business. They had prayed for those things and when they came, they aren't meant to be excuses not to be an inviter to the table. We need to remember that our blessings should not cancel out our responsibility to invite others to the table, to being hospitable. Can I get an amen? Ask yourself this question. Am I serving people in a way that makes them feel wanted and a part of my world? Am I doing my part? And then the third thing that we need to do is practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. We need to be engaged in the story of the people around us. And body language is a part of that. Don't just say, well, that's just the way I am. I just look grumpy all the time. Because it's not about who you are and how you feel. It's about the people around you and how they feel. Hospitality is saying the kingdom of God is important enough for me to show you that I care, to turn towards them, to give them good body language 
and eye contact and the smile, of course, and to know the story behind them and to listen for the story. Church, there are people that come under the sound of my voice every Sunday. I look and I see in front of me stories. People that are battling frustrating things. Their hope was to come to church today just to get some hope, to tell them that they could keep going. There are people in here that have lost a loved one this year and they're feeling lonely and others that have lost a marriage and some people that are on the top of the world. The body of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful interwoven tapestry of life experiences. But if all we see is the face of a person, or whether they're a Democrat or Republican on Facebook, or whether they agree with you or disagree with, they're a Packer or a Viking, if all we see is a label and we don't get behind the label and listen for the story, we are not operating with the climate of heaven. It is our responsibility to listen for the story. Jason mentioned to me in a conversation on Friday that the best communicators are good listeners. And if we can learn to listen, to notice the people around us, Jesus will use us to make a difference.